Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring, Jesus is coming again. Cheer up your pilgrims, be joyful and sing, Jesus is coming again. This is the voice of prophecy, a voice crying in the wilderness of these modern days. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Coming again, coming again, Jesus is coming again. From our Voice of Prophecy studios in Los Angeles, California, we welcome you to this half hour of inspiration and music with the King's Heralds, Del Delker, Brad Braley, and H.M.S. Richards, the Voice of Prophecy speaker. Unjoyed in stormy banks I stand and cast a wishful eye To Canaan's fair and happy land Where my possessions lie We will rest in fair and happy land Far across on the evergreen shore Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and dwell with Jesus evermore. When shall I reach that happy place and be forever blessed? When shall I see my Father's face and in his bosom rest? We will rest in the fair and happy land, far across on the evergreen shore. Sing the song of Moses and the Lamb by and by, and dwell with Jesus evermore. Today we have a guest in the studio, my eldest son, H.M.S. Richards, Jr., now a pastor in Albuquerque, New Mexico. He will lead us in prayer. Our loving Father in heaven, we thank thee on this day for the blessings of our wonderful Jesus. We pray, Father, that as this broadcast goes to the people in Radio Land, that their hearts will be blessed and that Jesus will be very close to them. We thank you for all of these things in our Jesus' precious name. There is a place of quiet rest near to the heart of God. A place where sin Mm-hmm. 
O Jesus, blessed Redeemer, sent from the heart of God, hold us who bow before Thee, near to the heart of God. song Miss Del Delker introduced to our audience a few months ago. The quartet joins her in singing this new arrangement of I See God. Reverend the 
Now is H.M.S. Richards, the voice of prophecy speaker. His subject, Somebody Cares. Dr. J. Wilbur Chapman says that in one of his evangelistic meetings, a man arose from the audience and gave the following testimony. One day I got off the train at Pennsylvania Station, New York City, as a tramp. For a whole year I begged on the streets for a living. Then one day I touched a man on the shoulder and said, Please, sir, give me a dime. He looked around, and I was startled to see the face of my own father. Oh, father, don't you know me, I asked. He threw his arms around me and began to weep. Know you, my son. At last I've found you. I've found you. All I have is yours. Just think of it, men. There I was a tramp, begging for a living. Yes, there I stood, begging my own father for a dime, for ten cents when for 18 years he'd been looking for me, hunting for me everywhere, to give me everything he had. It's just that way with our Heavenly Father, looking for us because he cares for us. In many human systems of philosophy, we find man seeking God, trying to find out more about him, philosophizing about him, some even fasting and going through bodily sufferings. But all the time, God is seeking them. In the third chapter of Genesis, we read that Adam and Eve were actually hiding themselves from the Lord, trying to keep out of his sight. And right in that connection, we find this picture of God. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? There it is, God seeking man, and man not willing to be found. 
It's all through the scriptures, too. Through the holy prophets, God sought man. Through the apostles, he sought man. Finally, in his supreme revelation of God, uh, Jesus, he sought man. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 19. Can you not see, friend, the Heavenly Father is seeking us? Some people have wrong ideas about God. They think he's too much concerned with bigger things to care for mere individuals. They look at the vastness of the universe, that man is tiny specks in a troublesome world, itself a tiny speck in a vast and infinite universe. They think that a being as great as God couldn't be personally interested in such small, microscopic atoms as man. Some say the idea that God should be interested in nations or even this tiny world is wishful thinking. But the scriptures present just the opposite view. They declare that God is concerned, not only with nations and groups of people, but with persons. Yes, with you and with me. Did you ever know of a real father who was not interested in his own children? The Bible describes God as our heavenly father. In fact, Jesus taught us in the wonderful prayer to say, Our Father, which art in heaven. Our Savior knew that almost all human fears spring from a lack of trust in God, in his interest in us, in his goodness to us. An acquaintance of mine, while itinerating in West Africa, came across a man who had an alarming number of wives. As this man swung in his hammock before his two-story shanting home, where his ladies did all the work, he seemed very proud of his enormous family. In fact, he had so many children, he'd lost count of them. With some, he had only a nodding acquaintance. With others, he had actually to be reminded that they belonged to him. But God is not limited in this way. He knows all his children by creation and redemption. His human family may indeed number two billion on this earth and more. But speaking of God's wisdom, Jesus said, Even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Luke twelve seven. That means a daily interest in all of us. Very few mothers ever forget their little ones. The newborn child is the most important object to its mother. But it's easier for a mother to forget her newborn baby than for God to forget us. Listen, can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yea, they may forget, yet will I not forget thee. Isaiah forty nine fifteen, The true measure of God's care for us is our need of him. His mercy and care and providence are for all. The measure of our need, no matter how great, is the measure of blessing and help that he desires to give. God allows men a certain liberty, but he certainly overrules the affairs of individuals as well as the affairs of the world. It is written in Job twelve ten in whose, that is, God's hand, is the soul of every living thing. With him is strength and wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. That is, within the scope of his power. He increaseth the nations and destroyeth them. He enlargeth the nations and straighteneth them again. We see empires grow to greatness and go down. We see Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, great empires succeeding one another. These things happen only with God's permission, for it's written in Daniel 4.17, The Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men. 
and giveth it to whomsoever he will. God gives men leeway to a certain extent to carry out their plans. When the world gets to the place where God's will can no more be to the glory of God, then he will intervene as he has in the past. God's final intervention will be the return of our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. Then he will take charge of history in a way never seen before. Human governments will be put aside and the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation eleven fifteen. Leonard C. Lee, in a most interesting story of his own life in the British paper Our Times for August 29, 1957, says that when he was a boy he thought God was a stern judge, just watching to catch him doing something wrong a sort of cosmic policeman looking for criminals. One day, Lee became acquainted with a young man who was a Christian. This young man talked with him all night, trying to explain to him that God loved him. Why should he love me, asked Lee. I'm not a goody-goody. His friend explained that there are two great powers in the universe, God, the creator, source of all good, truth, beauty, the source of life, light, and love. His law is the law of righteousness, Obedience brings happiness and peace. The other power is that of a created angel who turned against his maker and is now the embodiment of evil. The young man explained that there is a great controversy being waged between these two powers, forces of good and evil. Lee says that he had read many detective stories and mystery novels, but he had never read anything that held his interest, as did this great drama of the ages. Every day he thought about it. At night he dreamed about it. He wanted to know more. He wondered why God didn't destroy the devil and all the rebellious host. But his friend assured him that force never settles anything. God's a God of love. The great conflict between good and evil must continue until the evil is completely unmasked and the whole universe sees it for what it is. Lee couldn't see how love could win over force. It reminded him of what some general had said during the Second World War when the remark was made that God was on the side of the Allies. How many airplanes does God have, he asked. His friend went on to show him that God would not use force to make people love him. Love must beget love, and God wants the obedience of love because he's our father. He described the man of salvation, the son of God who became man, who came not to be honored but to die and to give his life a ransom for many, Matthew twenty twenty eight. Leonard Lee says that he had often seen men risk their lives to save other men, but when he finally saw the Lord Jesus giving his own life freely for the redemption of others, it broke his heart. He says, I couldn't help thinking as I lay awake at night with the tears running down my cheeks what he had done for me. When he endured temptation, he did it that I might be strong to do right. When he suffered under the cruel whip, he was taking the punishment I deserved. When he died on the cross, he was tasting death for me. My sins nailed him there. He was thinking of me. He cared for my soul. The words of John 3.16 came to him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Lee never saw the young man again. But his life was changed because of that friendship. No wonder he has become a worker for God, a servant of Christ. This great truth that somebody cares, that God cares, that he cares so much he was willing to give his life to redeem men. That's the truth taught in the ancient prophets. It was revealed especially in the sacrifice of the bleeding lambs, 
pointing to the Lamb of God who should come and die for men. Since Jesus came and gave his life on the cross, we look back to that glorious event. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, the bread and the wine remind us of God's love for our lost souls. God's law had been broken. The breaking of that law is sin. The wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. But Jesus came and met the demands of the broken law. By faith we look to him. He takes our place before the condemnation of the law. Yes, on Calvary, Jesus was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 4.25 and Romans 5.1, that last verse is one of the greatest in the Scriptures. That's the simple story. No one who hears it and believes it can ever doubt that God loves him, that somebody cares. A minister sat in his vestry at the regular hour when he met any who desired to help be helped with their spiritual problems. That day only one came. What's your difficulty? My difficulty is the ninth chapter of Romans where it says, Jacob have I loved but Esau have I hated. That's verse 13. Yes, the minister said, there's great difficulty in that verse. Which part of it bothers you? Why, the latter part, of course, replied the man. I can't understand why God should hate Esau. The minister said, that verse has often puzzled me, too. But my difficulty has been with the first part of it. I never could understand that first part how God could love that wily, deceitful, supplanting man, Jacob. And when we really know our own hearts, I believe most of us could say that of ourselves also. The great wonder is not how God hated Esau, but how he could love us or love Jacob, how he could love me. But he did, and he does love us, just because he is God, our Heavenly Father. When you feel the farthest away from right and truth in God, remember this verse, Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Yes, God is love. Somebody cares. Somebody loves you when 
This is Orville Iverson of the Voice of Prophecy saying, If you are discouraged, look up. God leads us forward in faith. Now, with the final message, here is H.M.S. Richards, a Seventh-day Adventist minister. Friends of the Voice of Prophecy, in these few seconds before we close, let me impress every one of our listeners with the our great desire to hear from you. Please write to the Voice of Prophecy if you enjoy the program and let us know about it. And now we say, have faith in God. He hears our earnest prayers. Have faith in God. Our pain, our joy, he shares. Have faith in God who knows and guides and cares. Have faith, dear friend, in God. We trust our broadcast has brought blessing to you and that you will be with us again next week for another broadcast brought to you by the voice of prophecy. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.